Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Dana Schwartz, and this is Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio, a show where four of my smartest and funniest friends gather together to talk about books that are getting the Hollywood treatment. This episode, we're talking about the many ways that Sally Rooney's Normal People has gotten under our skin. And I realize that it's like, oh, I am projecting my own relationships and past onto the Connells that I've encountered. And so then when he was this living, breathing other person that was also like very handsome, it was like, oh, I could fix him. And (laughs) with an Irish accent. That's very important. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be so much fun. All right, let's get to it. Today we're talking about normal people, which just feels like it became this giant, trendy book, uh, obviously by Sally Rooney, a very young Irish author, and now a critically acclaimed Hulu series. And I'm joined today by uh, my lovely co-hosts, Jennifer Wright, who's a brilliant author of the hilarious books, uh, It Ended Badly and Get Well Soon. Hi, Jen. Hi, it's nice to be here. And what is your experience with Sally Rooney and or Normal People? Did you read it for the first time for this? Oh, I read Normal People for the first time for this book club. So it was my first Sally Rooney read. Um, I loved it. I think it is a beautiful book about a terrible, terrible, terrible relationship. And um, I wish people would stop talking about how, like, this is so romantic. No, it's not. Their relationship needs to end. um, And I hate columns. So I look forward to talking about that. (laughs) But they're cute. But they're good looking, Jennifer. Did you think about that? I did think about how they're both very hot, especially in the TV show. And it is normal to want to smush hot people's faces together like Barbie dolls and make them kiss. <laughs> but um, but I do not think it is enough to make it a good relationship. Uh, we also have Karama Dankwa, an amazing actor and writer. Karama, what were your first impressions of normal people? I got to say, I, I asked, are these normal people? Because I don't want that. That's what normalcy is. But um, 
I did enjoy the book. Um, I would have loved a quotation mark somewhere in there because there were no quotation marks for any of the dialogue. That is a me issue that has no bearing on the content of the book. But I thought it was a well-written portrayal of a very messy relationship. I think I hate Connell a little less than everybody else. I don't like him, but I don't hate him. And I do think that he does demonstrate growth, which I'm really excited to talk about. Important mm-hmm. discussions. We also have Tian Tran, a amazing comedian and actor. Tian, first impressions Hi. of normal people. Oh, well, this was the first time I've read a Sally Rooney. And I did text Dana as I was reading it that it gave me a straight nightmare. Um, I <laughs> woke up one morning thinking that I was straight and it like I had a dream that I was straight. I am not. And Tian, I <laughs> truly, truly being straight is the nightmare. It, is. I tell you. it was not straight. This is not the nightmare. It's just I was living a lie in my dream. But I, I, I did. I, I really enjoyed it as a as like a very well written piece about a terrible relationship. But it really does feel like a straight nightmare to me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And finally, we oh, have uh, Melissa Hunter, who's an amazing writer, actor, comedian, multi-hyphenate of every every variable, every every hyphen I can think of. Melissa, what was your experience with normal people? Oh my God! First of all, thank you so much for all of those hyphens and enthusiasm. Uh, so this is the second time I've read Normal People. I read it last <gasps> summer. Uh, and you don't get, you don't get bonus points. Good. I was worried. (laughs) Um, but it was interesting also reading it for a second time and in conjunction watching the show. Um, it felt like on second read, I didn't like Connell more, but also it it brought to me, it felt like every one of my teenage to early 20s relationships that I had. And so I'm, it made me feel really happy that I am beyond the Marianne Connell mm. years of my life and uh, made me feel like, oh, wow, we all kind of hate each hate ourselves when we're young. <laughs> and that's so hard all the time. And it made me feel sad for younger people. And some of us still. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you, Dana. <laughs> get through it. Just a quick note about this podcast. We are going to get into spoilers and a full discussion. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have read the book to in- hopefully enjoy it and understand it. Uh, I mean, plenty of people sit through English classes without reading the book. But uh, we are going to get into spoilers with the understanding that you you are familiar with the ending and have gotten there. The first step would be to sort of uh, discuss the plot of the book in broad strokes. Grandma, you want to take sort of the first leg of how you would describe maybe like the first act of the book? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Marianne Sheridan and Connell Waldron are these two teens. Marianne is not attractive by the standards of her school because she doesn't wear makeup. That is literally (laughs) what they say in the book, which I found... Very offensive as someone who didn't wear makeup in high school, but was still very hot. No one knew, but I knew. Uh, (laughs) Well, I think we also should clarify that I think Marianne is objectively hot. She's objectively an attractive person. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, But, you know, that could also be the TVification of the book. It could be that she was not intended to be objectively hot. But see, I have a lot to say about the TVification of of that character. But I, (laughs) I actually think this is the important first conversation to have because I have been reading people having the take like, oh, she's too attractive. Where I did read it, assuming that she always was attractive. 
Right. Mm-hmm. You get to college, people are like, yes, that is a conventionally attractive person. And just mm-hmm. in high school, because she's like weird in her personality, people don't see that. Like I will say in my high school, there were um, people who were like gen- genuinely gorgeous who my mm-hmm. mom would always be like, do you know who's beautiful? That. Mm-hmm. So and so girl, and she, I'd be like, "Oh, she's so weird!" Like blah blah blah. Name like, names. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you were beautiful. Like I do think that girls in high school have very weird standards of attractiveness that mm-hmm. are not objective, pretty, pretty standards. Sure. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I also um, one of the things that did bother me a little bit about the depiction of her in high school was maybe it was just my high school, but I'm pretty sure that people would be really excited if a fellow classmate told a teacher that they had nothing to learn from yes. them and then walked out of the room. Mm-hmm. Like, that would automatically make you a badass, at least where mm-hmm. I went to school, and people would have really respected it. And it's very bizarre to me that in this school, everybody's like, oh, don't pay any attention to her, sir. She's weird, and we don't like her. Why are they maybe, on the teacher's side? Maybe it's Ireland. <laughs> Maybe that's Maybe. who Irish people are. Yeah. Like, no offense to any Irish <laughs> listeners who take offense with that. It's not the worst stereotype about Irish people. That, that they, they like respect teachers. teachers. <laughs> that they respect teachers too much. It did remind me, I have to say, it reminded me of the pilot episode of Veronica Mars a lot. Oh, because yes. Veronica is sort of characterized in that same way where she's very rude to teachers and she's just kind of like, mm, life's a bitch and then you die. It's a direct <laughs> quote from Veronica Mars, my favorite show, which I'll just mention many times mm-hmm. throughout this podcast, I'm sure. And um, the, the important great. thing about Veronica Mars is she is, Kristen Bell, objectively gorgeous. Yes, she Can is we, But, yes. however... Uh, Dana counterpoint she was popular Veronica Mars this might turn into a Veronica That's Mars true. spinoff podcast soon um, but she was popular yes yes you yes, do, you, do. Okay. 100%. you only need to watch um, seasons one and two and then the movie you don't need to watch season okay. three or season four writing that down yes no, season one is a perfect a perfect season of television um, although she does wear seven jeans which really bothered me because she was poor and I couldn't poor. afford seven jeans. And I'm like, how is it that you get a, like a variety of seven jeans when, when they were like, like the when you thing, look like you know? Kristen Bell, they just give you free things. Oh, OK. I see. I, I see. always just assume Duncan bought them for her. You know what? We need to move on. It's too early. <laughs> so my frustration with the Marianne, like I bought it in the book, the TV I, I think the actress is amazing. I think she is so uh, conventionally beautiful that it is distracting. Um, but I I felt like if you are beautiful and rich and also have a confident attitude, to, in my high school, you are just popular no matter what you do, even if yeah. you reject it. Yeah. Um, I, I imagined her as like the kind of beautiful that high school kids do not understand yet. You know, mm-hmm. of like the cool mm-hmm. off kilter beautiful mm-hmm. that like becomes the models in four years, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that made more sense to me. That's true. That's that's where my brain was at, too, of like, you know, in in high school, all the popular girls that were like the hot popular girls had a very conventional like cheerleader yes. aesthetic mm-hmm. that like. I didn't necessarily gravitate towards or like understand necessarily, but knew that in my brain that was like conventionally attractive. Whereas mm-hmm. now I see some of the high school, like some of my nerdier friends 
those of us mm-hmm. who are like in orchestra or would be like considered weird, um, we're all hot now. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah, definitely. I think and, I was I was picturing that too, where it's like, especially in my high school, it was a very materialistic culture. And it's like, if you didn't flat iron your hair and wear Ugg mm-hmm. boots and tuck your jeans into your Ugg boots and wear your North Face jacket, like you just were mm-hmm. not considered attractive no matter what your yeah. face looked like. <laughs> where it's like, if your face had flat ironed hair on either side of it, they're like, great, you pass. Yeah. Um, so I feel yeah. like the only person here whose high school probably would have reacted the same way. I feel like if somebody went off on a teacher, people would be like, oh my God, because I feel like it is a deviation from a norm where it's like, even Mm -hmm. if you don't respect your teacher, it's just like, you're making waves. Can you just calm the F down? Like just really (laughs) step back. They would have said, calm the F down. They would have said that. (laughs) And the way that Connell's friends teased Marianne was very much like, oh, they also think she's hot and they want to have sex with her, but they resent her because she doesn't, she isn't interested in them. Connell that actually was the mentions bullying. that at one yeah. point. He mm-hmm. says, like, if he thought he had a chance with you, he wouldn't say those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's fully <laughs> it. So I think, like, yeah, the the TV show, for however it's portrayed, you know, she is very conventionally attractive, but I do think the book never tries to make the case that Marianne isn't beautiful. She just doesn't subscribe right. to like the high school conventions. Mm-hmm. She doesn't wear makeup. Of course. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, all she needs to do is take off her glasses and let her ponytail down and mm-hmm. we have a prom queen on her hands. <laughs> or she's Superman. Either way, one or the other. Mm-hmm. This is Popcorn Book Club for My Heart Radio. Just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. I'm home. Everyone knows that it's Dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and 
and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back with Popcorn Book Club. Uh, Tian, do you want to take the next step sort of of the plot? So we have the two players. So we have the, where did we leave off plot wise? Literally just, just not literally, said any plot. We have Marianne, she does not wear makeup. Cup. <laughs> we have Marianne, did she, she doesn't wear makeup. Did we talk about the fact that Connell's mother is the housekeeper for Marianne's family? So you're setting up this like class divide uh, and they start secretly, Connell and Marianne start secretly sleeping with each other. And Connell kind of is too embarrassed to admit that this is happening and makes her keep it a secret. And she is so happy to obey and like be dominated in that moment to keep it a secret. Yeah. So that is their high school dynamic. And I think that's sort of like the first section of the book, which is Marianne genuinely being attracted and loving and adoring Connell in this way, who's sort of presented as like, he's good at sports, he's popular, he's Mm -hmm. well-liked. And uh, they have this sort of secret intimacy that's more honest than any other relationship we sort of see, even among his friends. Jen, what did you make of of Marianne and Connell in high school? Well, uh, Connell does not take her to Debs, which I had to Google, is like the Irish equivalent of taking someone to prom. He takes another girl to prom, despite the fact that he's sleeping with Marianne. And like Connell's mother, the meanest girl, the worst girl. The mean girl. Yes. And then at Debs, found out that nobody really would have cared if he had taken Marianne. They could have been walking around holding hands in school the whole time and nobody Mm -hmm. would have really given it a second thought. And anyhow, that was the point at which I decided that I hated Connell. But (laughs) in in Connell's defense at this point, uh, everyone in high school is mean and dumb. Oh, yeah, but it's your last month of high school. You're never going to see those people again. Like, if there's ever a time to just say, fuck it, it's then. You can take anybody you want to prom. Um, Yeah, you're going away to college in Dublin. You're not going to keep hanging out with the same people you hung out with in high school. For me, the most gutting part of the Debs conflict, which I think we should definitely talk more about, is when she's like, did you consider taking me to Debs? Uh, And he's like, he said no. "No." And he's like, I wish I had. Which just, I mean, that honesty is important. Uh, But this idea that it was just out of his realm of even possibilities that he would not subscribe to, like, the normal progression of, like, what was supposed to happen, which is the popular guy goes with the popular girl to the dance. Like, that he wasn't even creative enough to even contemplate in his wildest fantasies to publicly go on a date with the girl that he is sleeping with. Like, I would at least go into fantasies of it turning into, like, 
Carrie's prom night, you know, like (laughs) just the worst possible version of the dubs possible. (laughs) But uh, he didn't even think about that. It was like you told him to eat paper. He was like, no, that's not what you do. Like, I don't understand that. Melissa, what's your take? Yeah. Well, I was going to say not to get too far ahead, but that moment feel like when he says I didn't consider it but I wish I had feels so emblematic of all the chapters of their relationship. Like when he gets another, when he gets a, he gets a girlfriend and that like Mm -hmm. breaks her heart and she's in love. He says he's in love with her. And then at the end, like he's never at any point considers her, considers that they could be in a real relationship at like from Deb's onward, each chapter, it felt like I, he never even considered it. He just takes this relationship for granted even even if he doesn't mean to. And it's like, it's heartbreaking. It's just a dynamic that they're in that they can't get out of. The thing that destroys me is that Marianne keeps going along with it. And yeah. I think that's because yeah. her home life is a terribly abusive home life. But mm-hmm. with the exception of not talking to him after Debs for a little while, she keeps letting him continue to do this to her over and over throughout the book. And at any point, he could just decide to treat this woman he keeps sleeping with nicely. He could just decide that she's a real person who has real feelings. It shouldn't be that hard. The real tragedy, and I think it's something a lot of women have dealt with, and so that's maybe why it's resonated. This book has resonated so much with so many people about relationships, is like kindness in chunks. You you can, you like gather, you can hoard it like nuts and then mm-hmm. you can dole it out through the winter. So if someone is kind to you in moments of intimacy and you're like, they're kind to me, they love me. And then even if publicly they're cruel to you or they're cruel to you in terms of their behavior, or in terms of like, you know, the relationship itself, you can still keep going back to those moments of kindness. Yeah. yeah especially yeah. if it's like your first, it's like her first real, you know, intimate relationship with someone like you really even hold on to that even more because you're not comparing it to anything else. You have no other kind of standard yeah. by which you're like getting any sort of kindness or like, so, because I, I remember in my first like love that like I would look at bad behavior as just like, oh, just a, a blip in the like overall arc of our relationship. Not mm-hmm. seeing that it was like a terrible pattern and that it could be better. Like that's why I think she keeps going back because like she well, doesn't yeah, have she a... She doesn't uh, have a model. Of, yeah, she yeah. doesn't have a model. Yeah, and he was and it, her and it, very first kiss also. Yeah. yeah. Melissa, I think that's important, her family. Do you have feelings sort of about how her family affects her relationship with Connell? Ugh, the family was so awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> that relationship with Al, with her brother, Alan, was just like one of the most stressful things <laughs> I've read in a long time because it's the kind of abuse that is like, it's like the I'm not touching you kind of abuse. It's like, mm. ju- like even though it does become escalate to physical, he still never like lays a hand on her. He throws a beer bottle in her direction. He like punches the door open. Like it's interesting to me that like his fist never hits her face, but it's still so horrifically abusive. And because of that, she like doesn't feel like she deserves sympathy, you know? Like I think because she has money she feels like she doesn't deserve sympathy or you know any kind of kindness and her mother being so detached from it and forgiving of Alan it just feels like her self-worth she didn't have a chance and her only the the sad thing is it's like the only way she could have a chance is either with a good friend or a good romantic partner Mm. 
And the closest thing she ever got was Connell. I do like that she has a good friend in college. Shout out yes, to Joanna. 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 She's the best. Yeah. Shout out to good lesbian relationships. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I want to say if we are allowed to swear on this on this podcast, or if it's like PG thirteen and we get one F word, I'm gonna I'm gonna say fuck Alan. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck that's Alan. definitely worth the one F bomb. I'm gonna use it. Yeah. Oh my god, that is uh, also oh. fuck Jamie. Oh, oh fuck yeah. Jamie. We are now rated and, R. <laughs> yeah. Also well, fuck Peggy too, but. Yeah, fuck oh, Peggy yeah. just a little bit, but yeah. Peggy is yeah. the worst. Peggy's Peggy the worst. is literally no, what's what's very insidious about Peggy's character is that she sort of positions herself as this like women's advocate and as this uh-huh. friend mm-hmm. and We've all had a Peggy in her person. Life. And she just is zero percent of those things a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that actually sort of gets into a meta discussion that I really wanted to have. Um, I will jump back in the plot because I think, you know, this transition from high school to college is very important, but Mm -hmm. in a meta world, Sally Rooney books have sort of become a feminist status symbol, sort of in the sense that I feel like her books in terms of an aesthetic and who they're popular with are sort of like the New Yorker tote bag of literature at the moment. Do you think Mm -hmm. that is in line with what the book is about, or do you think people are projecting on it? Or am I totally off base? No, I think think there is actually a a meta thing at the very end of the book that I highlighted that was exactly that. Because this is her second book, right? Yes. Yeah, so it says... Uh, it was culture as class performance, literature fetishized for its ability to take educated people on false emotional journeys so that they might afterward feel superior to the uneducated people whose emotional journeys they like to read about. All books ultimately are marketed as status symbols and all writers participated to some degree in this marketing. Obviously, I don't think she thinks her books are, um, you know, empty or like the the first paragraph, but it is interesting that she talks about them being status symbols because her first book was sort of that status symbol, like you're saying. Like there, I saw them on Instagram before oh. I heard what they were about. You know. Mm-hmm. Do you think Sally Rooney wrote that paragraph because she's aware of that in terms of her own book, or is she just does she just have that feeling? I like That's to think she's self-aware. Felt very I self-aware. Like think, yeah. I feel like it's some from column A, some from column B, yeah. and to me that reads as somebody who wants to escape that, but also is aware that there are structures in place that make it very difficult to be successful and still escape that. I mean, there yes. are benefits. It's a obviously she, it's a very privileged position, Sally Rooney, as she is, and a she is a conventionally attractive young white woman writing about young, conventionally attractive white people falling in love. Like, she, and she has skyrocketed to enormous success. So she and is in a... she still has critical success. Which Criti- both I, critical yeah. and commercial success, yeah. which is yes. huge. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not like a Nora Roberts book, which I think fits right. into the same category of she is writing about romances between conventionally attractive people, perhaps with a beautiful backdrop of Ireland, but um, those relationships end with people getting married or kissing on a beach, and therefore they are very different than the relationships that mm-hmm. Sally Rooney is talking about. 
Sally Rooney is in a very uh, rare and exalted position, and I, it's, yeah. This is this is the big question of literary theory. Is is it is it an interesting question or even one worth having to read the book through that lens, or should we just read the text as a, a text? I mean, I don't think text exists just as text. That's the thing. I mean, everything is text. The world that we live in is text, and you have to sort of take that as part of it when you are examining and analyzing it. Well, yeah, because yeah, it is interesting reading. the book a second time and then I was watching I watched the first half of the series and my understanding of Connell felt different each time I read it and also um, watching the show I felt way more sympathetic toward Connell and I realized Mm -hmm. that it's like oh I am projecting my own relationships and past onto the Connells that I've encountered. And so then when he was this living, breathing other person that was also like very handsome, it was like, oh, I could fix him. And <laughs> with an Irish oh, accent. That's very important. I read the whole book in an Irish accent. I would read portions of it out loud to myself in my in my room at my mom's house. And I Can you do I, an Irish accent? That's no, awesome. I sounded like a cross between a dairy girl and the like Lucky Charms leprechaun. It was horrendous. <laughs> it was truly awful. But it did make the Irish accents less disarming. Charming you when know, I was watching mm-hmm. the show. Melissa, when you were talking about projecting, that hit me in the chest because I read Sally Rooney's first book, which is about a girl in college, you know, getting in a relationship with a slightly older man. And um, that one, I feel like I projected a ton on. And uh, and I feel, and looking back, I was like, oh, I like that one better. And I was like, oh, did I like that one better just because I personally put more into it Mm -hmm. compared to like, I didn't really have like an extended high school romance. So here's my theory and take it as you will. And I'm putting it out for the discussion. I sort of think with Sally Rooney's writing style, which is very sparse, but the details are really vivid, um, that she is the literary equivalent. And I say this as both a fan of Taylor Swift and a fan of Sally Rooney, (laughs) genuinely, Sort of the literary equivalent of Taylor Swift songs, which Taylor Swift songs, I think, account for their success and longevity because the details are specific, but you can imagine whatever your relationship is upon the the song. Like I, I, mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. Like I feel like because Sally Rooney writes in that really sparse, like no quotation mark style, and you know the the scenes are are. Um, like scalpel precise, scalpel. Yeah, precise the prose like is very what we're looking. Mm-hmm. Um, people can can fill it in with their own heartbreaks. I would agree Absolutely. with that hundred yeah. percent. And I think that it's very important to say that I like Taylor Swift despite all of my efforts not to. I enjoy her music a lot, and I do think that it does speak to something inside of all of us where it's like, oh yeah. This is, this could be me, even if it isn't, you know? Yeah. I feel like I go through relationships where, like, every phase of the relationship will have a Taylor song 
Taylor Swift song that I will project on that period of the relationship. Oh, absolutely. I once texted a guy that I was like, I can't do this anymore because this is starting to feel like a Taylor Swift song and I need it to stop. (laughs) It was specifically starting to feel like style from her album 1989. And I did not like that. Oh, when when things start to feel like style, you gotta gotta pull the exit. Gotta bounce. Gotta bounce. I mean, did you feel like your enjoyment of this book hinged on personal experience, Jennifer? Oh, um, I mean, I I think, yeah, I think it's a really easy book to project yourself into, uh, especially if you have ever had a dysfunctional relationship in your early 20s. And I think a lot of women have been in a place where you, yeah, where you think, well, you know, he he's really nice to me sometimes. So maybe if I just ask for nothing emotionally for the entirety of this relationship, everything will work out. And one of the things that I did find I disliked a little bit about the ending of this book was it seemed to confirm this notion that if you ask for nothing emotionally for five years eventually the man you're sleeping with will threaten to beat up your abusive brother. Which, frankly, I feel like if you had a broken nose and you went out to any bar anywhere in America, and by the way, you're also, you're beautiful in this situation. You're a beautiful young woman. And Mm -hmm. you're weeping and you say, my abusive brother broke my nose. (laughs) Every man in that bar would run to that house to beat up your brother because it is finally an opportunity for a man to beat someone up and still be a good guy. (laughs) (laughs) That is so so smart. And also a perfect transition to another question I had for the group. Sally Rooney describes herself as a Marxist. Mm. And I thought it was kind of interesting to, Karama's making a face, which we'll get to. But uh, I did think it was sort of interesting to to then re-examine the book through a Marxist lens in terms of, I saw people on Twitter talking about like, oh, is it feminist that, you know, Connell is always standing up for her and, you know, beating, beating up, you know, her brother and, and, you know, defending her at school and against, you know, people who were a physical threat to her. And I was thinking that like, from a Marxist perspective, which is the idea that people have different ability, skills and resources to share with other people, that this book is secretly sort of advocating for that, where what Marianne has is like, wealth and status at certain points of her life. Like when he needed a place to stay for the summer and didn't have a place to stay, it's like, wouldn't it be better if she shared that resource with him? And then what he has is physical mm-hmm. strength and that, I know you're going to get there. And that like, <laughs> he has this physical strength and it's like, oh, well, you know, she sometimes needs a physical barrier. And uh, so that was just a, a thing that I was teasing out the idea of like, okay, well, if she's calling herself a Marxist publicly, is that something that we think exists in the book? Karama, t- explain the face. Well, I Well, the face was just that I didn't know that, and that was surprising information oh. to me. But it, just to address specifically what you brought up about Marianne has this home that her grandmother owns in Dublin. Yes. So she's not in campus housing or anything like that. She's not paying rent to our knowledge. <laughs> and uh, Connell has lost his job over the summer and wants to stay in Dublin, but can't unless he has a place to stay where he doesn't have to pay rent. He doesn't ask her. And this is part of the major Mm -hmm. issue for me in Mm -hmm. this relationship, in this book, is that they are always talking across from each other or like uh, not 
they're not talking to each other, talking past each other and uh, seeing it on film. Because I know I said in our email thread that I wasn't going to watch the Hulu show, but I watched the entire thing. <laughs> uh, it was very engaging. Good job, Hulu. Um, yeah. uh, and good job, actors. Also, you did great. Uh, but... Mm-hmm. I found that seeing it on screen was so much more infuriating oh, than reading it. Yes. Yeah. And seeing mm-hmm. it from their different perspectives, too, and seeing what they're reading into the conversation as opposed to what it's like the connotation versus the denotation. And it's like you need to just pay attention to what the other person is saying and then ask yeah. follow up questions. Genuinely, yeah. I think they all needed therapy. And yes. it was not yeah. introduced as a concept in this book until very late in the game. <laughs> Too late, yeah. And someone Thanks. has to die for it to happen. <laughs> it's almost like a little bit pride and prejudice in the sense that, like, if the characters could communicate their misunderstandings and say what they're feeling, like, a good long conversation could work it out. But because of who the characters fundamentally are as people, they can't have those conversations well, because they are fundamentally a- people who will not have conversations like that. <laughs> It's also like a multicam sitcom. Like, that's the premise of most jokes in sitcoms are, like, two people talking about different things. And they think, like, I thought we were talking about grocery shopping, but I'm talking about how I want to have sex with you. And it's like, whoa, (laughs) eggs mean something different. Um, I also have a theory that in The Boy Is Mine, the song by Brandy and Monica, they are not talking about the same boy because they never say his name. At the beginning, she's like, his name is, well, you know his name. Oh, yeah, I know his name. And if they just said one, two, three, and then said the name at the same time, it probably would have been a different guy. And they all could have moved on and been friends with each other. Tien, what is I, your feeling on the, the Marxist interpretation of resources and and or asking for resources? Well, in looking in, in reading this book and looking up things about it. Yeah, I think someone had interpreted that like sh- it was like Marxism into the heart. Right. It's like it, mm. it, everyone is have Connell and Marianne each have their resources that they can contribute to like the nation state of this relationship (laughs) (laughs) and that like in working together, they could come to like a successful country of a relationship. If they were just to be able to like balance the resources of wealth and emotional IQ and like their intelligence into their relationship. So that's, I, I do see where people are pulling that and putting that projecting her being like a self-identified Marxist, like into this, into this book. Yeah. I think also one place where I really noticed it was when they get the scholarships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah. It was such an indictment of Marianne's like class privilege that she didn't understand why she didn't deserve one too. And she really saw it as a, the status symbol for her intelligence. Right. And then, one of her friends didn't get it, and it was like, oh, I'm sad they didn't get it. And Connell's like, they didn't need it. It's like, well, it would have been good, you know, for for her, like, s- self-confidence. And it's like, no, Connell literally needs it so he can still go to school there. And then talking about, like, the kids that are serving them this food that mm-hmm. are the same kids, same students. It, that's where I felt like it was a lot was examined. 
And that was all lost in the show. I don't want to say lost in the show. It's a different Mm -hmm. medium. And there are certain things that just aren't going to translate well on screen. And that's one of the beauties of having these different options available to us is that we get this rich inner life and this inner thought process when we're reading the book. Mm -hmm. And I did miss that in watching the show. And I miss their email exchange in watching the show. Because when she was abroad in um, Sweden? Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, when she was abroad in Sweden and they had this, like, long email exchange that really spoke to me and my personal experience. Mm -hmm. They took out him calling her a deer. They did take that out. I liked when he called her a deer. It was cute. I I liked it. I will say one thing that I got from the show that I didn't, like, necessarily pick up on in the book is, like, uh, maybe it's a little on the nose, but the idea that she's sort of emotionally shutting down and then she goes to Sweden, which is a very cold and sparse Scandinavian place. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something conveyed very visually um, well in the show to m- mirror your outsides and your insides. Also mm-hmm. something that the show gave me that the book did not is how hot they are. They're so <laughs> hot. <laughs> and they have chemistry. They have physical chemistry. That's so, it's such that intense chemistry. Remember. Holy shit. <laughs> Uh, one another thing because I was reading like a few interviews with Sally Rooney because I do think like she is an interesting person because she's become such like a cultural figure and in the interview she said <laughs> I'm just I'm going to read this quote because it's something that I I've, I've written books and I, obviously not anything compared to the critical acclaim or commercial success of Sally Rooney but I just I want to feel how this feels in my mouth to say it um A lot of critics have noticed that my books are basically 19th century novels, but dressed up in contemporary clothing, which is a good, that would be very nice for critics to say. Um, I don't, I don't know if I felt that. Uh, To me, it feels very modern. Um, I I can definitely see that because I've always thought there is something very mercenary about Jane Austen's novels. Mm. They're not really Mm -hmm. about love. They're really about social class and they're about who you marry and how that impacts you financially. And I I think um, I did not know she was a self-identified Marxist, but I think if there is any barrier to their relationship. And again, I do not think it is that much of a barrier for these very attractive young white people who are going to the same college. Mm -hmm. Um, It is social class in this novel. But it's really interesting because in high school, he doesn't want to publicly be seen with her. And he's the one who has the social class that Mm -hmm. one could then like argue would benefit from being Mm -hmm. affiliated with her. But isn't it, I mean, I think the social class issue, because this isn't the 19th century where it's like her being rich doesn't, wouldn't affect them actually being a couple. That is never like an obstacle to them being a couple. Isn't it, to me, what felt very pride and prejudice was the idea that like these are two very prideful people or have personal limitations that prevent them from having the conversation they need to have. Yeah, they're not speaking their emotional truths, and I feel like that is kind of what it is in Jane Austen novels. Like, they're speaking around it, and they never get to it (laughs) Mm -hmm. until, like, the very end. Um, But I I do think it is a barrier. Like, it it felt like the biggest, like, the class, both in high school with Connell being, having the higher social class, and then... In college, you know, they still, it was still kind of a secret. And it, it 
yes, people wouldn't have cared about it, but it is still built up in their heads in some but way. But people would care, actually, because there are people who comment on him and they're like, oh, is he even smart? Which was just like yeah. very rude. Yeah. Yes, his accent. Yeah. That's that's the thing that yeah. I feel like takes where class really comes into focus is that he's from like the boonies of Ireland, mm-hmm. that he has like an accent and clothing that identify him as... Mm. The clothing, not so much on the show. He was very well dressed and, and very, very hands hot. on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio. We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players redemption seekers and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars anyone can win relationships matter and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts So we're back with Popcorn Book Club for My Heart Radio. I think this um, is a good this is a good transition now back into slightly the plot where we're at. Mm. <laughs> we're taking roundabout ways, which is how conversations should go, I think. Um, Melissa, do you want to pick up post Debs? He Absolutely. didn't he didn't ask her to Debs. Lorraine rightfully got mad at him. And we did sort of skip that. And I want Lorraine to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Lorraine is the goat. Lorraine is the best yeah. mother. Love her. Yeah. Love when she's her. like, I need to get out of the car. Otherwise, I'm going to say things I regret. <laughs> so dive in. Give us, yes. give us the scene. Um, 
So the other important part of uh, when he doesn't invite her to the Debs is she drops out of school. So she, I mean, she graduates, but she does it from home. So it was like the final straw. She couldn't be in that school anymore. And and he, Connell kept on trying to get in touch with her and she would not respond. Also, Connell would not apologize because he's an idiot. Um <laughs> And then we follow Connell the next fall at school at first, and he's having a hard time fitting in. He's going home every weekend because he doesn't have any friends yet. And he gets invited to one party by this guy, Gareth, Garrett or Gareth. And he's like kind of a cool guy on campus. Everybody knows him. He sucks. Can we say he he sucks? He sucks. He's brilliant. I actually don't think he sucks that bad. I think think he's just kind of a pretentious 19-year-old. He's boring. Yeah. I think pretentious 19-year-olds kind of suck. Thank Um, you. (laughs) He was a Nazi apologist. So, Oh, I forgot Uh, about that part. Yeah, no, he sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... It, it, he gets to she gets to the party. Gareth is like, "You should come meet my girlfriend." She he's all she's also from Sligo, and then lo and behold, it's Marianne, and Marianne has her college glow up, the thing every nerdy girl in high school always <laughs> dreamed of having. Yeah. Um, this is the fantasy moment for all of us. She cuts her hair, I think, a little shorter and wears eyeliner, so that's the big uh, glow up. And she's very happy to see him. She's ve- And she now has friends. She's the popular one. She has the cool boyfriend. She's surrounded by friends who are paying attention to her. She smokes and they, now. Oh, very cool. She yeah. smokes now. She's a bad girl. <laughs> and She's uh, Sandy at the they, end of Greece. <laughs> yes. And they start chatting. <laughs> and she invites him into her friend circle. Like, maybe they can just be friends. And so that happens for a while. And then she uh, realizes she really wants to have sex with him again. And so she breaks up with Gareth, boring Nazi apologist Gareth, and uh, they start having secret sex again. But this time it's kind of her secret rather than his secret. But then the devastating thing is when she when he asks, like, do, do any of your friends know? And she's like, no. It's like, oh, are you embarrassed? And she's like, yeah, I'm embarrassed of and ashamed of how you treated me and that I took it. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that, should I keep going or is that? I think that's, that's plenty to <laughs> <Okay>. discuss. <laughs> Jennifer, like, there's a lot to Jennifer, what is your, what is your feeling there? Uh, I mean, look, he also still won't touch her in public. Like he refuses to yeah. do any kind of public displays of affection with her. Um, even though she is clearly more popular than him in college at this point and doing very well, um, I, I think he still sees her the way he saw her when she was in high school. And I think the tragedy mm-hmm. is that she still sees herself that way as well. That um, for this entire book, she will still see herself as someone who is considered like an ugly girl yeah. and who maybe doesn't deserve love because her family... Mm-hmm. If they expressed love at all, expressed it in terrible ways. Like, I don't recall any portion of the book where I see anything that is recognizable to me as affection coming from any member of her family. So, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe she gravitates back towards him in part because he still sees her the way she sees herself. And I think I, that the family thing is really spot on because her mom is so cold and cruel to her and ignores uh, the abuse of, of her brother. And the fact that it did feel like in those quiet moments of intimacy that Connell did see her, you Mm -hmm. know, in those isolated moments of when they were together. And that 
probably was the the closest she felt to being seen in her childhood or mm-hmm. you know young adulthood that it and then is tied to this feeling of genuine shame where it's like the best she could hope for was conditional affection from this person who was ashamed to be with her in public which is a really painful thing Karama. I feel like this is another plug for therapy because <laughs> yeah. the touch well no the physical touch thing actually really stood out to me because um I am familiar with I'm not saying I like I'm big on them, but the love languages, the five love languages, one of which is physical touch. Mm -hmm. And when people are in relationships, sometimes their love languages are different. And it felt like Marianne was like a big, why don't you touch me person? And he's just like, oh, I don't know. And I feel like if they had a conversation, perhaps with a therapist, then they could Mm -hmm. really tease out why that was an issue. And I read something somewhere, I cannot cite my source, I'm so sorry, but I read something that said the love languages that we crave are the ones that we didn't get from Mm -hmm. our families Mm -hmm. as we were growing up. So I think it's really interesting that physical touch is one for Marianne and that becomes a big like point in their relationship because even as um, I think Melissa was saying, even as she's being abused by her family, she's not being touched. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a coldness. It's like a, a yeah. shut off abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it I mean, also feels he like he basically Connell... spits on her at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's that, not touching. That, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's gross and bad, but it's not touching. It also felt so egregious the the lack of Connell's physical touch in terms in public. Like, I, it felt like any human would in a relationship would be upset (laughs) like they didn't like want to hold hands ever or like touch like that that moment in the pool when he like touches her legs and it's like (sighs) she's so starved for it and it makes me so sad but it also felt like to your therapy point it's like connell's sense of their intimacy is so wrapped up in shame of like he was always so ashamed by his attraction to her and felt like it was perverse in high school. Yeah. And then it's like this secret. And so it feels like any kind of sharing of that intimacy in public and and through touch would be is is too shameful. To, there, there's so much shame surrounding it. it was, again, therapy would help that. I I also see that as, like, just him being very, like, emotionally manipulative. Like, Mm -hmm. even though he's so ashamed, I think he deeply knows, like, how wrong he was to have, like, made her keep it a secret in high school. Yeah. And the Mm -hmm. fact that he really never gets to... He does at some point apologize, but it's not till, like, she has already started sleeping with him again in college and they've, Mm -hmm. like kind of gotten back into their old ways of having sex and not being like affectionate in public. But to, if he really knows her and sees her the way that he himself convinces himself that he sees her, she would know, he would know that she would like want that sort of physical touch in public or want that sort of affection and to like withhold it and be weird about it is like emotionally manipulative. I will say that type of validation is something that I feel like I have dealt with in relationships where like, I just keep coming back to like my last big relationship. A massive fight for us was that I wanted to post pictures of us online and he wouldn't let me. Um, 
which, mm. you know, he's like, I'm a very private person. And I'm like, I get that. But I, if you know anything about me, like sort of live my life a little publicly, like obviously not a full version of myself, but like a facade of me. And so it felt very important for me to like, it wasn't real until it was like on the internet, which is my own twisted, distorted brain. That's not how the world works. But like, that was a legitimate argument we had where he's like, but I'm here, I'm holding your hand. I've met your friend. Like you've met my friends. I'm like, yeah, but why, you know, it felt secret if it wasn't on the internet, which is different, obviously, from Marianne's physical touch. But uh, look at me projecting on it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, mean, I think everybody uh, ideally wants to be with someone who is proud to be with them and happy to be with them. And I... um, I, I love showing off pictures of me and my husband because um, I'm proud of him and I think we look cute together and I love him. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I think he feels the same way about me. He probably posts many more pictures of me than I post of him. But- <laughs> well, Jennifer, I will say, I will say Daniel knows he, he shot above his weight class on that one. <laughs> he was very smart to brag about being married to you, a very beautiful uh, woman. He, he is the most beautiful creature in the world to me. Um, I, I love him so much. Can this be a Jen and Daniel podcast? Yeah. Oh, God. I love this. <laughs> can Sally Rooney just write about you guys? So we can yeah, have really a model of a functional relationship? Um, okay, that's, um, I think, you know, I, I am in a very happy relationship. And that was something that I thought about a lot in this book. And... I wish she had had a better friend because I feel yeah. like if she had had like maybe a slightly older friend or a friend who'd been in like a good relationship for a long time, you can kind of gently hold someone's hand and say, it seems strange that he never wants to touch you in public. And it's okay mm-hmm. that you feel weird about that. Like that is, yeah. that's unusual. Um, I will say, I will say, I'm, Joanna, I feel like, was her best friend throughout the, yeah. the show. Not in terms of like, oh my God, BFF, but just in terms of quality. Her, she yes, was the, the best, best one. Friend. <laughs> and I think that Joanna kind of handled it correctly in terms of like gently supporting, but clearly <laughs> not like very pro yeah. the negative relationships in her life because there is the sort of tendency when you call out somebody's toxic relationship or negative relationship that they will push you away because they're so invested in the relationship and Mm -hmm. joanna was there to continue to gently nudge her and say like hey you know Mm -hmm. sweden this guy lucas in sweden's a bit just be careful okay have a good time you know lucas is an interesting transition to something else i wanted to talk about which is um the world of bdsm a little bit um and Mm. one thing that i was interested in the dynamic of is one thing that I've uh, noticed as a, not someone who's in that community, but someone who has, you know, gotten a a normal social thing is it seems like those dynamics, uh, like a domination or or submission uh, dynamic happens in during sex in the bedroom, in these clearly uh, constrained environments and rules and then when it's over, you're back to being very affectionate and loving and uh, give each other mm-hmm. like aftercare. Aftercare, <laughs> aftercare is, is very important. Not yeah. seeing that in any of this. No. That's what I was no. saying, where it's like I in theory, I understood why Marianne would gravitate towards that world where you can play and explore those dynamics in a safe space and then afterward be with a loving, caring partner Um, But that is sort of the opposite of things we get, which is someone who is very cold and very cruel to her 
in the world and outside and then only shows any intimacy or tenderness during sex. Uh, Connell, of course. So it's yeah. like Connell is like yeah. a weird, bizarro version of a BDSM relationship. I just I just would say that I don't particularly love that sort of stereotype or trope that someone like damaged woman or someone who is damaged or abused turns to BDSM as a way to fill a void, because I don't think you necessarily play out in that like that kink doesn't come out of like neuroses all the time. It can come from just like wanting to like have that sexual liberation and playing with power dynamics in a different way. So I've found that to be a little kind of disappointing to see that that is how this particular community or kink community is being portrayed again as like someone like 50 shades of gray i'm 50 shades of fucked up yeah. is an iconic line and i love it <laughs> <laughs> sorry to interrupt you and i had to deliver that line no, I that. <laughs> no but yeah just found that to be like Wishing there was more nuance in that self-discovery mm-hmm. that she is exploring this kink and like into in the world of BDSM and like losing, having it be placed on the fact that she was, you know, looking to it because she had abusive relation at, relationships at home felt like a missed opportunity. And I will say exploration of it. I think that they really could have portrayed it with more nuance and with a version of aftercare, which seems like Mm -hmm. the the version of Lucas that I kind of wanted. Like Lucas did seem to Mm -hmm. to care for her, and I and Lucas seemed very experienced in this world. Uh, He sort of had the paraphernalia, and I didn't get that at all from him. I I wished that Lucas had been uh, the sort of then mirror opposite of. Yeah, And it was also interesting that, like, she shied away and pulled away when he was like, you know, I love you. Or he said something tender and that was what got her. And it was kind of, like you're saying, Tian, like, kind of disappointing that you, there could have been an opportunity there to see how someone was different outside Mm -hmm. of the rules in which, um, in the sexual sort of space. Yeah. Jennifer, what was your thought on that? Um, I do not think anything about this book or show is an advertisement for how things are supposed to work. Oh, that's um, fair. Yeah. <laughs> I do not think it is a good relationship. I do not think yeah. um, it is a good depiction of how good BDSM roleplay would go. But I also think it's really important that in the, I don't think this is her kick. Um, in the book, when she no. first starts talking yeah. about how, like, I let him tie me up, um, I think it's Connell who asks her, uh, do you like it? And she's like, uh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, It doesn't feel like, oh, this Mm -hmm. is a side of my sexuality that I've been really into and it really gets me off and I want to explore that. It feels like the only experience of love she has is to feel submissive to another person's will and to go along with what somebody else wants her to do. And that's what she's had with Connell. And she's trying to figure out how to get that feeling back in her other relationships when she doesn't feel so in love with these people that she'll do whatever they want her to. And maybe a way for her to capture that again is to be physically tied up and to have to submit to them. Yeah. 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 Well, there is so much talk in the book of Connell's power over her. And uh, I mean, over and over and over again, how he's so repulsed by the power he has over her and overwhelmed by it and needs it. And toward the end, he talks about how, like, 
that is all he wants is like he doesn't even care about his own life, but he cares about his effect on Marianne. And it is this sort of emotional control that you're right, that she's like searching for. And, you know, one thing I noticed in the book that I feel like a lot of young women can relate to or young people is like, I I understand why she keeps going back to Connell because all of the other men are worse that she dates. You know, we keep talking about this model of like, she tries the, this relationship with Connell. Connell breaks her, her heart. She dates Gareth, who's a boring Nazi apologist. And then she's like, okay, I want to go back to Connell. And then Jamie and then the Swedish guy. It's like, it's all in comparison. And so you understand why she again and again returns to this better than those relationships relationship. That is a really interesting dynamic between Connell and Marianne, that it is, even if they're they're not engaged in BDSM sex, which they're not, well, you know, it, she brings it up and he's not into that and he balks. He has genuine power over her, both mm-hmm. he has physical strength, he could dominate her physically, he's the one who could protect her physically, and he has the emotional power because she loves him so much, she would do anything he wants. She, I mean, would humiliate herself in that she, you know, knows that based on her behavior in high school. She can look back on that and be like, wow, I I was willing to do this for that guy. Karama, what was your what was your thought on that? I um well, hmm. I didn't love the continued um return, so to speak, to the talk about power and his power over her. And mm-hmm. I, it just kind of it, I mean, it didn't feel good. It felt like it was a bad thing. And everybody kept talking about it kind of like it was a good thing. I don't know. Like mm. when I feel like Marianne would talk about it, like, you know, I do anything you want me to. And I'm like, don't tell him don't that. Do that. That's just <laughs> not romantic. I don't think that's like a good don't, Yeah. Hide like, some of your cards, girl. Like, yeah. That's not good. No. <laughs> no, it's not good. And I'm like, you're a human being. You're not a sim. Like he doesn't get to control you. That and, should be um, if you were if you were the good friend, you would need to tell her that she's a human being, not a sim. <laughs> don't float in a pool if he could delete. Leads the the climb ramp, you'll drown. Oh my gosh! It's super fun to do that to Sims. I'm a psychopath. It's fine. Uh, but what I did, I wanted to loop back and talk about Lucas again really quickly because I feel mm-hmm. like Lucas was the biggest change in the book yes. for the show for me. Uh, and I've talked about things that I felt like I missed from the book that were not in the show or couldn't translate properly into the show. But I feel like Lucas as a character was the biggest deviation, so to speak, <laughs> deviation uh, from the book, because not just because they changed his race, which I was fine with because there are Scandinavians of color. And I thought that was lovely that they did that and addressed that. Uh, but also the fact that in the book, it's not it's not a loving sort of kind relationship. And then she tries to break up with him. And then he's like, oh, OK, if you want me to be mean to you, I can be mean to you. Mm. It's actually it mm-hmm. sort of starts cold. And then when he begins to warm up, that's when she freaks out. Yeah. So it's not like it was an agreed upon coldness like it is in the show. And I there's just something really interesting about that decision to make it Marianne's agency to make this relationship cold as opposed to seeking somebody out who sees in her that she wants that. 
instead of her explicitly expressing it. And she didn't explicitly express much throughout the show in terms of being in relationships. And I found it interesting that they made Lucas the one character where she actually actively did that. I think it goes into what Jennifer said really articulately, this idea that Connell had that power over her and she was trying to seek ways of of replicating that with people Mm -hmm. that she didn't have that organic, natural feel with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like she needed a physical, she needs physical hand restraints with Lucas in a way that she wouldn't with Connell. Right. But she does try to get that with Mm -hmm. Connell at a certain point, which was a very heart-wrenching scene for me Mm -hmm. watching it. Mm -hmm. It was so much worse watching it than reading it. That's our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dana Schwartz, and you can find me on Twitter at Dana Schwartz with three Zs. You can follow Jennifer Wright at Jen Ashley Wright. Karama Dankwa is at Karama Drama. Melissa Hunter is at Melissa FTW. And Tian Tran is smart enough to have gotten off Twitter, but she is on Insta at Hank Tina. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis and were produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to David Wasserman and, of course, to Sally Rooney for giving us the story to begin with. Next week, we'll pick up right where we left off with normal people and things are really heating up. I just wanted to know what you guys thought about that for those of you who watched the show and got to the the naked parts. At the risk of sounding like the creepiest pervert in the entire world. Oh, I'm so excited. Here we go. Popcorn Book Club is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.